You're listening to Multi New Media for the week of September 21st, 2015. This is episode 19 Jocks in One Corner, Geeks in Another. I'm Chase Raz, and Christopher Woodward and I will be your hosts for this episode of Multi New Media. everyone i'm chase raz and with me today is christopher woodward and christopher it's nice uh of you to join me today we've uh talked about something uh, a little bit before the show and i would like to take more of a backseat view of this of this particular show and um let you run things How, how would that sound this is the equivalent of the day your dad finally let you drive the car. This is just incredible. <laughs> You're actually turning the keys over to someone else, letting someone else plot the course. If, this is big of you. No, I don't know if it's that big, right? Because, um, you know, if your car was a show that had maybe all of five listeners, and uh, <laughs> um, and have you, have you seen my car? <laughs> it's pretty much the equivalent of your show with five <laughs> listeners. Uh, you know, I think of it more like when. Um, when one of your siblings lets you sit in in their favorite chair, Ooh, that's what right. I view it as because um, it's definitely not taking the. I mean, it's not like taking the Lamborghini out. This is true. This is true. Yeah. But we we should get away from cars because what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about sports and technology and sports. We are taking the two worlds that often get separated in high school with the jocks in one corner and the geeks on the other. Uh, but we're melding them together. We're melding the geeks and the jocks together. Technology and sports, uh, really two topics, uh, kind of a, a warm-up topic. And then we're going to get into something that uh, I think our listeners are really going to really enjoy. But to start off, I want to talk a little bit about technology use in sports. And specifically, we're seeing just a myriad of ways that technology is infiltrating the actual games uh, and I'm sure most people are thinking, oh, he's talking about instant replay. Uh, and obviously, instant replay is something that in football uh, has become a huge part of the game. Uh, the officials actually use instant replay, can reverse calls, can change decisions on, on where balls are placed on the field. Uh, but really, they're not engaging the technology to a high degree with that because a lot of people don't even realize this. The officials under the hood during a football game on instant replay only watch the replay at full speed. They are not able to pause it, uh, do it in slow motion. Really? They can watch, yes, they can, they can watch the clip from multiple camera angles, and they can watch it as many times as they want, and they can tell a person controlling it to show the clip over and over again. However, they are not watching the clip slowed down. They are watching it at actual speed, Every time. So you and I get to watch it slow down at home and we're like, oh, is that elbow down? Yeah, that elbow's down. But but you're saying that they're actually watching no no time manipulation whatsoever. No time manipulation. Now, granted, I didn't know that. camera angles and obviously close-ups and whatnot, but when it comes to the actual speed, the reason for this being that, you know, the flow of the game. Obviously, something in slow-mo, you have to realize that, well, that person couldn't stop their momentum in real time. Right. And slow-mo makes a difference. 
so I'm not really talking about that technology use in sports. I'm talking about the use of technology to gain a competitive advantage in sports. Uh, and the most obvious one that I think sticks out to a lot of people is the use of tablets. Uh, notably, the NFL signed a huge multi-million dollar deal with Microsoft to have Microsoft Surface uh, tablets distributed to both teams. Both teams are allowed to use tablets on the sidelines. Uh, and this has replaced the old overhead camera shots that would, would, would get literally printed out and it would stand with paper copies on the sidelines looking at formations. Instead, they're not looking at them on tablets. Uh, they're actually able to look at replays of formations, games, and plays during game time with the Microsoft Surface. Surface. Uh, and of course, last year when it was first introduced, uh, NFL had, had a little issue in that several announcers, and I know this will irk you, would refer to them as iPads uh, when they were not. They were Microsoft Surface. Uh, but this is a, a case where technology is being embraced, and there are some teams that are not embracing the Microsoft Surface, that don't want to use the tablet as much, or if they are using it, they're only using it just to look at still photographs, the same way they would have with the paper copies, whereas other coaches are, are being much more tech-savvy. So I, would, I want to get your thoughts on, one, the fact that this tool is now being used during the game by coaches to analyze what's going on, and the competitive advantage that it gives a team that's willing to actually use the tablet as opposed to those that are just looking at it as a glorified picture. Well, to, you know, to start, actually to go backwards a little bit, um, yeah, it was kind of irksome that that people were referring to the Surface as, as an iPad, but not for the reason you think. Um, it just bothered me, I think, because, I, you know, we're, we're uh, us and our listeners, we know the difference. And we know that both are excellent devices, but they have different use cases and whatnot. And and I think that's why why that bothered me. But um, but no, not so much that they were disrespecting Microsoft. We're used to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. So uh, okay. So using tablets as a tool, um, I I kind of think this is interesting. I, I had mixed feelings about it at first, but I think I was taking a little bit too much of an outsider's view. I kind of thought, you know, what about technical problems? Right. That's where my mind went first. And then uh, a, a split second after my mind went there, I was almost embarrassed to have gone there because myself as a business person, um, first and foremost, uh, working in, in, in a variety of different fields over my career, I, I know about technical problems. If something breaks, swap it out, right? It's, it's all about the productivity, and, and I'm sure you're going to have some backup tablets. I'm sure you're going to have some backup technology. So I was kind of embarrassed for thinking that at first. Uh, I think it's a sign of the times, and I think that if I were to continue this answer, I'd accidentally lead into the second part of your question about the competitive advantage, so I'll turn my attention almost exclusively there now. If a team is using tablets or other type of interactive technology on the sidelines, uh, of course, as long as it's approved, right? I know we're talking about the NFL and tablets and all of this has been approved, but anytime you have the approved use yeah, of course, you're going to have a competitive advantage over somebody who's not using that technology. Like you made the comparison of looking at video as opposed to looking at still images or looking at how the possibilities of a play could could work out as opposed to having to imagine that all in your mind. Um, I really do think, one, the competitive advantage is there, but two, the fact that the tool is there, um, sure, it's a, it's a marketing um, 
it's a marketing relations thing. It gets Microsoft's name out there, whoever's creating the technology. But also, it really does help the team, I think, feel more empowered. If you go into a business, uh, if you go into an office situation, rather, and you sit down and, and you don't have a computer in front of you and somebody gives you a typewriter and a telephone, you're not going to feel like you're going to be as productive as you know all of your competition are going to be because they have computers. right? We can go through all the reasons why, but I think that same thing is happening on the playing field. And if you do have that technology, even the mental bump it can give you from knowing that you're cutting edge, that you're really reaching into the future, I think that's enough to give you a performance boost without the actual um, bona fide effect of the technology itself. You know, you, you bring up great, excellent point there. And just to back up a little bit, you made a point about, you know, problems and, you know, what happens if the technology goes out. And, of course, for, for years now, the NFL has allowed coaching staffs to use communication headsets to be able to talk to their assistant coaches up in the booth above the field who have that eagle-eye view of everything going on in the game. And, of course, in the NFL, there have been occasions when, you know, the headsets crap out for some reason. You know, they're not functioning. And, of course, the NFL rule is that if one team's headsets are malfunctioning, the other team must also remove their headsets. Hmm. And, obviously, the same would hold true. If for some reason their, their Wi-Fi went out and nobody could use the Surface, neither team would be able to use the Surface. It's, it's an all-or-nothing proposition there. And I look at the use of the, tab, of the, the tablets on the sidelines almost as the next generation of the headset. Because if you go back to the earlier days – uh, when they first put coaches up above, uh, you know, they were using telephones uh, and assisted coaches with telephone down to the field. Then it became headsets. Now it's very rare to see any coach in the NFL not wearing a headset right. or not having a headset handy there. Uh, you know, kind of the, the last few holdouts have given in at this point and everyone's using the headset. Uh, now with the use of the tablets, not only can you communicate verbally from up top down to the field, but you can send the pictures down. You can send the plays down and then – you know, the coaches on the sidelines, they can use the tablet almost as a, a, a new version of the old chalkboard. Instead of X's and O's, they can actually circle players on there and watch the video as the players roll out. It's just, again, it's something that every coach, I think, in the NFL, an assistant coach, if they haven't already, they should be taking some tutorials on how to use a surface and get the most out of it. Because it is something that will give you a competitive edge in showing your players what you want them to accomplish and in studying what the other team is doing. Um, moving on from that a little bit, and, and again, because we're talking about technology in sports, I just want to make a, a brief mention of this because I'm sure someone will bring it up, medical technology in sports. That's a big one, and yeah. It, it's huge, and it's been huge for a long time. And again, uh, we're recording this in, in at the beginning of football season, so football is on the mind, but not only in the NFL, but in the NBA, in the NHL, in Major League Baseball, all of these major sports leagues have such great use of medical technology at their fingertips to the point that there are x-ray machines in the locker rooms. The, you know, the, the, the days of, or we'll ice it down and get them to a hospital are over. A lot of these locker rooms are almost equipped as well as some small hospitals are when it comes to x-ray machines, being able to see right away what's going on with talent, uh, the medical technology being used in rehabbing injuries, studying them. Again, sports medicine has become such a big part of the advancement of medical technology. Uh, you know, 
athletes are training. You know, they're having you know their movements studied with 3D cameras and imaging and whatnot. So I just wanted to, to give a brief mention because that could be a whole show in and of itself, and maybe it will be in the future if people are interested in hearing about it. But uh, obviously, medical technology a big part of the sports industry. The two have been married together for quite some time now. Yeah, I you know I think that's a big one, and and um, you know I've been watching uh, I've been watching a little bit of football here at the start of the season, and. Um, if uh, if I can say this, tell me if I can't. But we've both been training to do a little bit of a run, right? Yeah, that is true. So um, uh, I'm training to do a half marathon. You are as well. Yeah, I'm, I have a half marathon coming up in uh, in about a month. Yeah, I'm just shy of two, and I was out doing interval training um, a couple days ago, and I'm still hurting from it. Right, I did about nine miles. Um, Mostly walking, but some intervals in there. Just trying to get my time to where it's going to be acceptable to finish. As they joke about in marathons and half marathons, to finish in the upright position. And uh, so I'm watching football um, after doing this. And I'm thinking, I am absolutely jealous of the medical staff and the trainers. And the sort of, um, just all the athletic help that these folks get. It's like, you know, oh, you have a cramp. Well, let's go ahead and diagnose it. Let's make sure that it's not you know, going to be a complex problem and let's make sure it's not a pinched nerve and that it's just dehydration or this, that, or the other. The responsiveness that they have in many different sports now is absolutely impressive. It is. And, and again, they're just, it's two worlds that are going to stay married together, uh, you know, for a long time to come. And, you know, the sports teams, obviously, especially the major leagues, they have the finances to afford the best in medical technology, medical research, but it's through that that things are discovered that will eventually benefit the common man as well. So, uh, you know, it's a great relationship as far as I see technology, medical technology and sports. Um, I want to get to our, our main topic in a moment, but there's one more story I have to share with you. And it's of a use of technology to gain what some people might say is an unfair advantage in sports. That's my favorite type. And it is a is a specific example that I witnessed firsthand a year ago. Uh, a year ago, I was in Ohio. Uh, no, I did not lose a bet, but I was in Ohio. <laughs> I, I was about to been, ask. I had been. I was down there for the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, in Canton, and while I was in Canton, I traveled through Cleveland, and I had a chance to take a tour of Progressive Field, home of the Cleveland Indians. Uh, and it, first of all, I have to say, if you're into touring ballparks, the tour of Progressive Field is well worth it. Uh, not only do they take you through all the generic areas of the ballpark, but they actually take you under the ballpark. They take you into the tunnels. They take you through the dugouts. And it was while I was in the dugouts that I found out about how the Cleveland Indians take advantage of a technology. Uh, behind the Cleveland Indians dugout, which is literally underneath the stands where the fans are sitting, is you know a series of tunnels that lead to the locker room and whatnot. There's also an area, a little tunnel that leads to an area, where they have two batting cages set up. However, at the ends of these batting cages, there is a computer simulator set up. Hmm. This computer simulator is able to recreate the pitching styles and motions of pretty much any player in the major league. So, for example, say the team you're the Indians are playing against, say they put in their relief pitcher. 
well, you can have the next couple of guys in your batting order take a little walk behind the dugout and warm up in that batting cage with the computer set to throw pitches in the style of that player. You know, left or right, curveballs. I mean, again, you can feed in all of the information to get the simulator to throw pitches similar to what that pitcher is going to throw you. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Now, when I went over to the visitor's dugout of the stadium and I went behind (laughs) their dugout, first of all, there was only one batting cage, not two. Second of all, there was no computer simulator. There was nothing there set up. And so I even asked the tour guide, I said, so the Indians have that simulator. So if a relief pitcher comes in, you can take a few guys coming up in the batting order and let them get a little warm up in there. Uh, against that style, I said, what about the visiting team? And he looked at me and he said, that's why they're called the visiting team. <laughs> and the I, visiting team does not get that advantage of having that technology and you just to cross, warm up. you cross your fingers and hope if, if your team is a visiting team that they have that technology at their training facility. Well, they're not going to have it in the dugout, though, during the game. Right, so, so no instant warm-up. I have to tell you a little bit of a tangent here. Um I'm jealous that you got to tour the Indians uh, facility because uh, here's why. Um, Lost my best friend a few years ago, but it was his dad, Perry Jordan, who got me, quote unquote, into computers for the first time when I was a when I was a kid. What I do today would not have been possible without knowing uh, my friend and his dad. And and Perry Jordan was a uh, he's a big fan of the Cleveland Indians. And so my first experiences with computers are sitting at these old computers and and looking up and he would have a picture of their stadium. And uh, I mean, it was just nerds heaven, right? Because he'd have a light in a particular location to where it looked like that light was making the shadow of the stadium in the image. And so I've always looked up at, um, uh, no pun intended, I've always looked up at the Cleveland Indians for that way. They're not necessarily my team, so to speak, but, but anytime I think of computers and baseball, uh, that weird correlation happens. So I'm, I'm infinitely jealous that you got to tour that facility. Well, I, I can throw another tag onto that. The Cleveland Indians actually was the first team to really embrace Wi-Fi in a stadium. They actually had, long before any other team had, had social media lounges and whatnot, they actually had a social media deck. They actually just took a section of the bleachers and in conjunction with Time Warner Cable set up to have a Wi-Fi signal in that area for fans to be able to use their phones and mobile devices on on a Wi-Fi signal. This is going back, I can't remember the year off the top of my head. Uh, Cleveland was coming off a horrible season, as they often did. Often, Uh, yes. And the the, the thought process was that if they provided Wi-Fi in this section for the fans, they could create some brand ambassadors that would send out messages on social media about what a great time they were having at the ballpark and hopefully get more people to actually come to the games and whatnot. And now, of course, you know, a lot of these modern arenas and stadiums are wired for Wi-Fi. They have Wi-Fi signals. They have social media lounges that have charging stations and whatnot. There's a lot of use of hashtags, Twitter campaigns, and Instagram campaigns in the stadiums. But the Cleveland Indians are actually the first major league team, I believe, to ever have a Wi-Fi signal set up in a section for the fans to use. And this is a great segue into our primary topic for this recording that we're doing today, and that is using technology to further engage fans. 
sports has always been at the forefront of using technology to further engage their fans. And if we could do a little history lesson here, probably the big bang of sports and technology engaging fans goes back to 1969 and a little television program called Monday Night Football. Nice. And for those that are not aware, you know, football had always been presented on television and was very popular as weekend programming on television, but it always been presented in a very stoic fashion. It was usually one camera above the field oscillating with the progression of the ball. Occasionally a second or third camera would be put on field level. Announcers were essentially a two-man booth, a play-by-play, and a color commentator. And that's the way football was shot. There was not a lot else done. Graphics were used sparingly. The camera work, again, very much stick with that overhead shot. Occasionally do a close-up. That changes with Monday Night Football in 1969. Uh, producer Rune Arledge, who was the head of ABC Sports, later became the head of ABC News as well, he had a vision of turning professional football into a mainstream product. And part of that vision was, obviously, accepting the NFL's offer for a Monday night package. Another part of that vision was changing the announce booth dynamic. Uh, Monday Night Football, when it debuted, had a three-man announce team. Uh, Howard Cosell, Keith Jackson, who was quickly replaced by Frank Gifford, and Don Meredith with the idea of having a play-by-play man, a good guy analyst, and a bad guy analyst, (laughs) allowing for friction and entertainment value. But the technology aspect that they introduced to sports on TV was done by director Chet Forty, who used 12 to 15 cameras to capture the game, put shotgun microphones around the field to pick up audio from the players and the fans, and basically producing games in a more quick-cut fashion, where the games would be shot, you know, live, obviously, broadcast, but they would be constantly switching from one camera angle to the other. You know, it was a more dynamic production. So this was a case of technology, and in this case technology, we're just referring to the use of the cameras, the microphones, and the direction of those cameras. But right there, that further engaged fans. And that continued a trend which began all the way in the earliest days of sports on television. Whenever there was a new advancement in television technology and broadcast technology, sports was always the first to jump on that. Color television, sports loved the idea of color television. You go you know, many decades later, high definition, sports jumped on high definition. 3D, which of course, as we all know, was kind of a, a mini buzz, has kind of settled now until the next incarnation comes through. Sports jumped on the 3D idea. And even now, holograms. And I don't know if you've had a chance, Chase, to see the uh, the proposed video for the Real Madrid Island. But one of, I have one not. Of the, you have not one of the attractions in this proposed island dedicated to the soccer team Real Madrid. Uh, for those of you that aren't soccer fans, uh, one of the proposals for that is a full-sized soccer stadium built overlooking the water. So it's got definitely aesthetic purpose to it, but that would feature hologram shows of classic soccer games being played out in front of you with full-size holograms. So right there, from color, multiple cameras, HD, 3D hologram. Sports has always looked at technology as a way to further engage their fans. And Monday Night Football is a great kind of big bang point to, to look at when say, okay, 
this is where they really started changing the game. But the truth is sports is always looking at the next technological advancement that they can add to their broadcasts and to the stadiums themselves to further engage the fans. Now, you as a sports fan, I as a sports fan, we've grown accustomed to certain aspects of, of technology being involved in our sports. And, and since it is football season, uh, I think an obvious one to point out here, which is, again, a technological advance that you don't think of as a technological advance, the first down marker in football, the unofficial yellow line that appears on the screen. Now, I think about that one all the time. I'm still amazed that that technology works. Even being a technology person, that, that one amazes me. That technology was actually developed by ESPN. Uh, it was just an idea. The, the idea was that, and where the idea was born from, again, you know, innovation co- comes from all places. They noticed that when they did the you know, wide shots on football, directors were always telling their cameramen, make sure you get one of the sidelines in your shot. And apparently a cameraman who was not as familiar with football uh, apparently made the comment, why do we always need to get one of the sidelines in the shot? I can close up on this and get a much tighter angle. And the director said, the fans need to see the markers. Right. They need to see that orange first down marker to know where the first down line is. So when we do a wide shot, we have to show where the first down marker is. So someone simply said, wouldn't it be great if we just had a line across the field? Well, from that idea, the technology department at ESPN tried to figure out a way that they could basically trace the marking point and put that yellow line there. And in the early days of it, obviously, it was, it was kind of gritty looking. It's always been and always will be deemed unofficial because right. it's being put in by a television broadcast network, not put in by the NFL themselves. Yeah. But it, it's hard to imagine watching a football game on television now and not having the yellow line marker there. Yeah, that, that would be a really big stretch, I think, for a lot of audiences to, to try to watch football without uh, American football, without having that, that line of, of demarcation for, for your first down, to have the line of scrimmage. I mean, I, I think it would be sort of a shock if all of a sudden in the next game, uh, those were turned off. I, I, I think, you know, I, we could still follow the game perfectly fine, but I do think it would be just like night and day. It, it, it absolutely would be. And what's funny is I can even recall hearing a, a child once at a live football game ask and comment uh, to, to, I assume it was his parent that, that the child was with, saying, hey, where's the yellow line? I can't see <laughs> the yellow line at the stadium. Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? The, you're used to the yellow line. You wonder where the yellow line is. But that same kid is going to look at the sidelines and go, of course you're using a tablet. Why, why are you two guys even talking about it? Right. Exactly. That's a great thing about it. Yep, absolutely. That's a great thing about it. The kid that the kid you're talking about, uh, he or she is just going to instantly get it. And um, it's it's up for us to to figure out the the who, what, where, when, how and why. That's just natural to them. But but again, it's about engagement. That yellow line enables fans to, to more easily understand the game, to know what's going on with the game as far as where the ball is progressing on the field. Uh, you know, obviously, graphics a big part of sports. Having, having the constant score, having the updates, fantasy players wanting their fantasy updates. But another use of graphics that we're seeing, really, it's kind of the offshoot of the yellow line, and, and some have been successful, some not as much. Uh, the strike zone during baseball games now, ESPN, mm-hmm. Fox Sports One, they've been experimenting with different graphics where they actually put a strike zone graphic on the screen as you're watching it. 
knowing that wherever the ball goes, if it goes inside that strike zone, the umpire will most likely call it a strike. Now, that's gotten some mixed reviews. Uh, some people like it. They feel it adds to the game, being able to know right away where the ball goes, if it's going to be a strike or not. Other people feel it clutters the picture, takes away from, from the aesthetically pleasing points of the picture, but that's something that's still being worked on. Uh, another idea that universally ended up getting panned was the laser tail being used in hockey on the hockey puck. Uh, the idea, in theory, was yeah. that, well, the hockey puck moves so quickly, if we had a, a, a computer-generated, quote-unquote, laser tail trailing the puck, it would be easier to see which way it was going. Right. Uh, and it'll know, be like that um, old mouse effect where you can put a tail on your mouse on your computer. Yeah, nobody liked that either. I mean, that should have been that should have been um, dead on arrival, right? And it pretty much was. I think they used it maybe for for half a season. Fans didn't like it, and and most people pointed out the fact that you know the ice is white, the puck is black. It's easy enough to see where it is. We don't need a laser tail. Um, but again, these are attempts being made, you know, to to use technology to further engage fans during the game to inform them during games. Now. The topics we, we've just discussed all refer to watching a game on television. There's also uses of technology for engaging fans while they're at the game. And this is one topic where I'm going to use, I'm going to mention something that scares a lot of people. I'm going to mention RFID chips. No, people will panic. People will panic. Radio frequency identification. By the way, why is identification abbreviated as ID? Have you ever wondered that? <laughs> Not until now. Thanks for that. You know, it's the first ne two letters. Next like, time I'm working the... in a database and I talk about the ID and I name a field the ID, I'm going to go, thanks, Christopher. I appreciate that. Uh, it should be identification. should be IT, but then it's internet technology, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, sorry, tangent there. Great um, tangent. I've never thought about it. Now I'll never be able to shake it from my head. See? I've added to, 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 to the limited amount of space you have remaining in your brain now. <laughs> there, so. is, there is no space left. I have to throw something out to remember something new. So now, of course, when you mention RFID chips, people start freaking out about Big Brother and, and Orwell and 1984 and conspiracy theories. And, but, so. and absolutely senselessly freaking out, if I can be so bold to say that. Oh, you can say that all day long, but it, it, it doesn't stop people because all it takes is five minutes on Facebook to find the new conspiracy theory. So. That's right. Five, five minutes on some, you know, some uh, post or some super liberal or conservative post. You're right. All, all these people who are the conspiracy theorists are on the fringe of one side or the other and five seconds on their site and you're going to you're waiting on the asteroid to hit. So what we've got here for, for our purposes, folks is the bipartisan RFID chip. <laughs> okay, so please do not attach any conspiracy theories to this because this is a use of an RFID chip where the people getting the chip absolutely know they have it, they know where it is, they know what it's for. And, and the example I want to use is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yay, who, that's my hockey team. See, I knew I would pop you with that You one. know, any Tampa Bay team. So the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, going back to 2011, uh, had this idea where they had, you know, their season ticket holders would be able to purchase a special Tampa Bay Lightning jersey that had a patch on the shoulder with an RFID chip in it. And again, the people getting these jerseys were fully aware that there was a chip in the jersey. <laughs> this chip in the jersey allowed the team to track who was at the game and who purchased what while they were in the stadium. Because the chip would give them a discount 
on their food and beverage and merchandise purchases at every game. So they would go to buy a, you know, a beverage or a food item, and they would have the patch would be scanned to give them their discount, and the Tampa Bay Lightning would be able to gather that information. You know, they would be able to pull in you know, that, that, that qualitative, quantitative data. It's actually a lot of data. so um, And you would see what the purchases are. The team, what they were doing is using the chip to pick up on what people were doing in the stadium when they were in their seats, when they were at other locations in the stadium, what they were purchasing while they were there. You know, they were looking at the quality of the experience in the stadium. And that information would allow them to see things that you know, might have been pain points. When were people waiting too long in line? Um, you know, what, when were they buying things? When were they not buying things? You know, that's... The fact that the fans got that discount pushed them to always wear their jersey to the games, to get that chip scanned, and to give them all of this great data that they could use from a market research standpoint in planning when to do promotions, and went to offer specials. Yeah, that's a great value of it because let's say that people didn't like the RFID chip or or you know that it was just too complex to manufacture whatever the reasons would be for discontinuing. Really doing that for for one season is going to be sufficient enough to carry you through the next couple of years of making good analytical decisions about how many employees do you need at any particular, you know, um food or drink stall? How many um how many um, times are people waiting on a restroom? How many people um, buy these um, buy season passes but don't show up to games? Right, all of this type of analytical information is absolutely wonderful and a great example of using technology to make something not only more interactive and immersive and give a nice discount, uh, you know, loyalty reward there, but also to get some great real physical analytic data that sometimes can be rather elusive and um, for folks who may think that is a little bit creepy using RFID I mean think about what your alternatives are if you're in the analytics world and deal with physical space analytics your other option is is really um, some type of camera tracking and you know blindly using software to follow where people go based on their their shape based on their face um, whatever and I personally think that RFID is a lot less creepy than um, than video tracking. Well, if you go back to, to a pre-technology method, you know, I mean, observational market research has been going on forever. You know, th- there have been people that have been staked out at concession stands at ball games, counting people, right. ca- counting purchases, you know, looking and noting when people would come back. I mean, that's been going on for years. So the RFID trip is really just a modern twist on observational research to begin with. And, and again, the fans know this is going on. You know, This isn't a camera being implanted on you while you're at the stadium. This is you taking advantage of the discount. They get the information. They're able to set up promotions to better serve the fans, to take better advantage of their resources, you know, and to create things that will further in- engage fans. Now, you can also take it a step further, and you can personalize the data that you're getting to the offers that you're going to put out there. For example, if the RFID chip shows that your chip, you know, makes, you know, two beer purchases during the second quarter, well, they could then send a text to your phone, if they have your phone number, if that's registered with your RFID chip, send a text to your phone offering you a discount if you buy a beer in the third quarter, you know, or if you buy two beers, get one free. You know, right. and they can tailor the promotions towards what your purchases are. Uh, they can, you know, target the demographics and the marketing that way. So again, 
it's using technology in such an expansive market research way to further the engagement of the fans and to better operate their business in a more efficient manner. Um, and that's, I think, a big part of the marriage of sports and technology. It's about engaging fans and running your business more efficiently. And you know, we touch, obviously, whenever I, I appear here on uh, Multi New Media, we're always talking about you know, the consumers and the engagement of consumers. And that's what consumer technology is all about. It's about further engaging the consumer and bettering your business. And sports has been a leader in that and will continue to be a leader in that, no doubt, for decades to come. Yeah, I think this gives us a lot to think about. So, you know, I'm sure some people are going to kind of scratch their heads and say, Why, what, what's with the sports theme this week? But but in, in reality, is, isn't the, the multi-billion dollar industry of most of these sports franchises, aren't they excellent places to look and see where the research dollars are going, where the social media uh, efforts are going, where the branding, uh, all of these types of things that we sometimes obsess over as business owners, as as corporate executives, as whatever rank and file you are, or whatever type of control you have, we can sometimes let these things get away from us. And the, the sports field is, uh, no pun intended, is an excellent place to look to get information um, and even best practices. Uh, I know there's a lot of academic publication about that as well that you can find in research databases, but but it's absolutely wonderful just to bring that out and to, um, to kind of talk about these. Um, Christopher, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you know if anybody right now is still using RFID tracking in in an arena or stadium? Yeah, I believe there's actually uh, quite a few hockey teams, uh, including some minor league teams, I believe, are actually using RFID technology to, uh, again, similar to the way the Tampa Bay Lightning did, to, uh, to track customers' purchases and using it either with a, a shirt or a hat or some sort of clothing item so that way the fan doesn't have to remember, so to speak, to wear it. Right. Um, so it's still being used. Uh, I don't believe the NFL or Major League Baseball has, has, has touched upon it yet. Uh, but, you know, I just wanted to mention, as we close out this segment, uh, those of you that are interested in more discussion of sports and technology, feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see us delve into. Obviously, sports and social media, a huge marriage, uh, one that the NBA was at the forefront of and resulted in just a, a revolution when it came to video uh, being watched online and on mobile devices. So there's a lot of different roads we can take the sports and technology conversation down in the future, and I'm sure we will. Absolutely. So if you have any of that, just give us an email, feedback at multinewmedia.com. And one last thing that I, I, I found, RFID is not just being put into jerseys, but um, for, for a while uh, I've been really interested in the loyalty program um, type of marketing, and I think this is one of the areas that Right, we talk a lot about why does somebody get into business? Why does somebody do what they do? It's either because they think they can do it better than other people have done, or they find a point of aggravation and would like to learn how to alleviate that. And for some reason, one of those two or a combination of them both, I've just always had a big interest in loyalty cards. And I do know that a couple of retailers are putting RFID in their loyalty cards. And think about the type of analytical data you can get from that who's purchasing what and how often, how often that customer comes into your store carrying that card and doesn't make a purchase. What aisles do they walk to? Think about if you own a coffee house or a restaurant, what type of information you could get by putting RFID into a diner's card or into a, a similar loyalty card. 
Christopher, thank you so much for today's section. Uh, I have learned a lot about sports. I'm not the um, I'm not the brightest crown in the box when it comes to sports, and uh, I've learned quite a bit. I appreciate that. Thank you. Which color crayon are you when it comes to sports? You like the magenta um, or brick red? Um, probably gray. <laughs> probably gray. Not very bright at all. Not very bright, <laughs> but hey, you know what? Gray is one of my absolute favorite colors, so I'll take it. There you go. My pleasure as always. Well, that was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments, feedback, or inquiries for us, send that to email address feedback at multinewmedia.com. And as always, visit multinewmedia.com and check out all of our episode pages and the discussions that they have towards the bottom of each of those pages because this episode may be ending, but the conversation is just beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.